folks, we've got an amazing podcast for you today. We've got Mitch Russo on the show. He is an amazing entrepreneur that's done a lot of great things, but more specifically, he's got systems and programs to help pretty much any small business to succeed. And I think that's what a lot of us are missing to help us to scale our businesses and grow it and become more happy with our businesses. So Mitch, thank you so much for joining the podcast. Uh, it's great to have you. Thank you, George, for inviting me. I'm excited to chat with you about your favorite topic. Yes, exactly. My favorite topic is, is entrepreneurialism. Right. And how to make entrepreneurs more successful, but also happy. We, yep. we see so many entrepreneurs working so hard and in this grind culture, which I hate to hear about, you know, people talking about like, grind, 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 grind. We do this to be happy. Exactly. We don't do this to be miserable. And I, and I think that the idea that you have to work really hard, be miserable, and then have a reward, it's kind of stupid. So I agree. You know, let's, let's talk a little bit about that. But first, there's a lot of stuff about you online. What is it about how you started that made you different? For example, what won't we read in the social media that got you started, that, that made you different from your peers, if you will? Well, George, this is a little bit personal, but I'll share it with you. Okay. Uh, what makes me different is overcoming a certain type of diversity in my life um, or adversity, I should say, not diversity, adversity in my life. And that was, is, is getting wrapped up in a bad way with narcotics. Okay. So I started shooting heroin in high school. Wow. And ended up very, very sick and addicted to heroin. Uh, at a, as a teenager, uh, <laughs> and was lucky enough to find help. Uh, my parents got me into recovery, which was wonderful. It almost bankrupted them, but they they did it. Uh, and it was really 18 months of working inside of a recovery program that I owe my life to today. And when I emerged, I was just 18 years old. I was free, clear, and sober, and completely focused on being a productive and happy adult. And without that, I don't know what I would have been or where I would have been, to be honest. Wow. So I, I'm hearing, I'm okay, the adversity piece, I definitely get it. But what I'm hearing underneath that is two things. One, you were, you were coachable. You were willing to take the therapy. You're willing to take the care, which helped you get out of your situation. Mm -hmm. And you were surrounded by people who were willing to make big sacrifices to help you achieve your goal. Correct. Yeah. And I, and I think a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of people in general don't have either of those things. That's true. And it's, it's tough when you don't, if you don't have people supporting you, if you don't have people caring about you and you're just starting out and you're young and you're filled with self doubt and um, comparing yourself to others, uh, then you're going to struggle and it's going to be hard, but you can do it. That's the bottom line is it can happen. You just have to be a little bit more focused and work a little harder, but it can be done. All right. So the focused and working a little bit harder. I like that. And we'll touch on that in a minute. So let's, let's fast forward. You, you started a company um, from what I understand, you know, working out of your garage or your folks garage. I'm not quite sure. It's my garage. Yep. Okay. Mm -hmm. Your garage. Talk to us about what some of the early 
pains that you faced developing that and what lessons could you pass on to today's entrepreneur that's maybe working out of their garage, their side hustle, trying to go from that to making it their main hustle? I, I will, but I first want to tell you a story about okay. a guy named Fred Smith. Do you know who okay. Fred Smith is? N no. Fred is the founder of FedEx. Okay. So when Fred was in uh, graduate school, he brought a thesis to his, his thesis professor. And um, the thesis professor read this business plan and gave Fred Smith a C. <laughs> yes, I seem to remember reading that somewhere. <laughs> right. Not a, not a B, not an A, he gave him a C. And Fred Smith's idea was to create a company called Federal Express. And now I want you to focus on the name Federal Express. Here's why. His idea was to take the process of clearing checks, which back in the 70s, uh, late 70s, early 80s, was a seven-day process and bring it down to one day. And the way he was going to do that is he was going to load onto planes all of the equipment and all of the checks at every local bank fly them into a hub and process them on the plane on the way to the hub, then unload the plane and distribute them back to the banks that needed those checks processed. Now the term, the name Feral Express makes more sense once you understand his business plan, right? Yeah. Well, he got a C. You know why? Because the professor said, uh, Fred, um, <clears throat> uh, Fred, uh, Planes can't carry that much weight. <laughs> That's a lot of equipment and a lot of paper. Uh, sorry, but that is a really dumb idea. However, there's a very interesting part of your idea that might be workable. And Fred said, what would that be? He said, the idea of the hubs. That is actually a very interesting idea. How else can you apply it? And he's, and that's when that professor, who I believe later became a partner of Fred's in this business, came up with the idea of package delivery. But they kept the name Federal Express because that was the name of the company. That's how they started it. And the reason I told you this story first is because when I started Time Slips Corporation, the purpose of Time Slips was for the purpose of keeping track of time on my computer yeah. so I can turn that into the IRS as and use my computer as a tax deduction. Now, nobody had ever created software like that. And a lot of people had personal computers. So to me, it was a great idea. I checked with my accountant. I, I spent a lot of time doing research. Nobody had a program like that. And the IRS required that you have contemporaneous record keeping of your usage. So I met with a buddy of mine, my next door neighbor and said, what do you think about building a piece of software that could do this. And uh, he shrugged his shoulders and said, well, if you think it's a good idea, I can build the software. And I said, let's do it. And like any good engineer would do. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And so what we then did is we put $5,000 each into a bank account and formed a corporation and wrote a partnership agreement on a, basically a napkin style partnership agreement. Later, we formalized it. And it was a very simple partnership agreement. We basically said we both own half the company and no, not either one of us can invest more than the other uh, to shift the percentage of ownership ever. And we held to that to the very end. But here's the interesting thing. We worked 
on this idea for six, seven months uh, until finally we had finished the product and it was working great. And it did exactly what we said it was going to do. And so we had created the branding and the software and the labels and we had hired a duplication house to make floppy disks for us. And we were uh, sent the just about to send our manual to the printer. And so what we both did is we both quit our jobs. And it was on a Friday afternoon, we both quit our jobs. And now on Monday morning, we are standing in the garage at my house, which is right next door to my neighbor, the neighbor who I'm in business with. And we get a phone call, phone calls from my accountant. My accountant says, Mitch, I got some bad news for you. I said, what do you mean? He goes, well, the IRS just relaxed its ruling on contemporaneous record keeping for computers. Now anybody can deduct their computers without records. I said, oh, and now, you know, if you're familiar with the term burn the boats, um, we had both just quit our jobs. We had both just basically separated. Take this job and shove it. Exactly. And so, <laughs> so, so we had some choices. We could A, say, oh, well, we tried and go look for other jobs. B, um, take off and go on a long vacation for a while, cool down and lick your wounds, lick your wounds, right? <laughs> or C, regroup and see how we can repurpose this amazing technology that we had come up with. And that's what we chose to do. And so we brainstormed for the entire day. It doesn't sound like a lot of time, but it was a long day. And we came up with the idea of who else can use this ability to keep track of time spent on the computer. And all of a sudden we both realized that almost instantaneously attorneys. Yeah. Attorney, any any professional really any well that's how it started it started as any professional and so we said well what do we need to do that and we wrote a spec and we both spent the next three months reworking the software reworking the manuals and refine refining the product completely to turn it into what became time slips you pivoted and basically you basically pivoted that's right but the reason i wanted to tell you the fedex story first is because I believe that almost all great ideas are never the final product. They never end up being what the company is all about. It's usually the germ of a great idea that needs to be fully developed, maybe even in the marketplace. Before yeah, what's what's that expression? I can't remember who who said it, but you know, no no battle plan survives contact with the enemy. Right? Exactly. And and you need to be you need to be prepared for that so that you can do those pivots and do those changes to strategic changes that will give you a better chance of of succeeding another way to say it is that uh uh everybody gets everybody has a plan until they get a punch in the face oh boy <laughs> yeah exactly yes so, i think that's the more modern the modern version of that story <laughs> exactly and then then you're regrouping and so that's how we started time slips corporation and you know thank god that happened because i think we would have had a nice little itty bitty company if we would have stayed on the path we were on but because we were able to regroup we were able to build an eight-figure company and sell it which probably never would have happened with the other idea that we had okay so i have two questions for you about that story we talked about the grind hustle mentality that's out there a lot of these 20 30 somethings you know they've got a full-time job plus they've got their side hustle going and they're they're doing their 80 90 100 100 hours a week and you said something about burning your boats 
And a lot of the advice out there that you read is do your side hustle until your side hustle gets to a point where it's generating enough revenue, you got enough clients, and then make the jump. Right. So what's your thoughts on, on that strategy? Well, the part of the story I left out uh, was that, <laughs> was that I, I had been a very successful semiconductor salesperson. Okay. So my background was electrical engineering, and I had worked my way through the ranks till I was now selling uh, integrated circuits to large corporations. And I was earning about 34000 a month in commissions at the age of 27 years old. Wow. So you had quite the cushion for your for yourself. I did. And my partner had a similar cushion as well. Okay. So we knew and we had such confidence in our ability. Uh, we figured we'd go about a year before we could pay ourselves. Well, that turned into two and a half. But uh, by the time we were able to finally pay ourselves, I had about $6,000 left in the bank. Oh boy. So, so the timing was kind of perfect. That reminds me of Tony Shea's story uh, when he built, Zap, built Zappos. He had all that money from a previous exit and he figured that that was gonna be more than enough to launch Zappos. And uh, that didn't work out the way he thought. <laughs> he no. burned through that money pretty quickly. <laughs> yes, he sure did. He sure yeah, did. Yeah, no, that's great. So I guess the moral of, of the story then is if you're gonna make the jump, if you're gonna burn the boats, make sure you have a good idea of what your runway is gonna be and, and that that runway is capitalized before you do so. Exactly. And that also goes from from a from another viewpoint would be that of an investor. Mm -hmm. So if I, if I am, for example, if a, if a startup comes to me looking for an investment and I say, well, what is the money gonna be used for? And I hear, well, it's gonna be used to pay my salary and pay my partner's salary. I'm out. I want no, because what that means is that these folks did no preparation. So they obviously, if they did no preparation when it came to paying their own salaries, I guess they probably haven't done much preparation anywhere else in the business plan either. So it's, unfortunately, I had to learn that the hard way. <laughs> uh, but the bottom line is- that, that might be the subject of another podcast. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, but the bottom line is that do your prep in advance. Know, know your um, the places where you might in fact fail and how to recover from that and still keep the, keep the company alive. That's very important. Yeah, I can't remember who said it. The famous venture capitalists, I believe, um, the 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 acronym is DROOM. Don't run out of money. Like, right. Just make sure you're capitalized. Except when they come into your conference room and bang on the table and say, "Spend more, spend more, spend faster, spend faster." I've <laughs> yeah. been there. So. Yeah. Okay. So let's get let's get back down to to the the business on the street. You know, the 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 one the two million dollar gross sales business. You know, the, mm -hmm. the guy that's running a plumbing service company, um, you know, the service-based company or the, the small products-based company. Today, a lot of talk about the economy, interest rates, recession, et cetera, et cetera. You know, do I pull back? Do I press on the gas? You know, what are your thoughts on, on expansion and, and growth? And what do you think is holding back a lot of these business owner operator types of business um, these days? Well, anybody who answers that question with a general answer would be giving you bad advice. So uh, I will say that for certain companies, it's an opportunity to take market share and step on the marketing gas and spend more. 
for other companies, particularly those in the um, service business with long-term contracts, uh, it might be better to back off uh, on the marketing a little bit and spend more time keeping and servicing your existing clients. So it really is a very dependent answer on the type of company you have. Uh, as far as the environment goes, um, you know, I believe that the environment is always a challenge. I never really can look back and say, oh, that was a great environment. I, you know, every environment I've ever been has been a challenge. And, you know, it's a different challenge for sure. Uh, you know, there was a, an interest rate challenge where recently interest rates have been very, 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 very low. Um, and now the challenge is, what do I do with that? What, how will I be able to use that and still make sure that when that changes, I can, I can stay alive, in fact, have utilized those low interest rates to my advantage. Now interest rates are going up. Well, what does that mean? What opportunities does that create that I could take advantage of now? I'll give you an example. In the real estate market, it's far better to buy property when interest rates are sky high because cash flow is calculated based on servicing debt. And when I started investing in real estate in this, in this basically in the early 80s, uh, bottom line is my first building, I bought it at 18% interest rate. Uh, then when interest rates dropped, that building skyrocketed in value. So it's a hard question to generally answer. It really requires the, on knowing the type of business and specifically what the problems of that business are. No, I, I get you. And it kind of like that. It reminds me of that, that saying, you know, when was, when's the best time to get into business? Well, it was 20 years ago or, or today. today. Right. <laughs> right? Exactly. And, and again, it's really just a question of how well you prepare. Right. And when I was hearing you talk about your, you know, the, the upside and downside, it made me think of some of the principles of investing, right? You can invest in make money if the stock goes up and you can make money if the stock goes down depending on the stock, of course, and, and how you've structured your investment. So, right. so even in a small business environment, if you put a little thought into what you're doing, you can adapt your business to make money in just about any environment. And the thought or the illusion that somehow things are great, the environment is great now for this or for that is, is really just an illusion because there's always going to be a challenge in any business at any period of time. That's right. And, and by the way, it, the, the harder you hold on to a concept that something is good or something is bad, then that is the most difficult thing to work around. I prefer to think of all every condition as having potentially a, a good circumstance. I mean, other than, you know, annihilation by nuclear war, which I can't see the upside of that. Not for us anyways. Not, Not for, for us. us. Exactly. <laughs> right. But other, other than that, I think that there is a way to see the upside in just about anything that happens in business. Okay. So you, you open the door to a subject that's near and dear to my heart, right? The, the mindset question, right? Yep. And mm -hmm. when you're talking to, you know, hardworking, you know, small business owners, owner operators, a lot of times when you bring up that topic, you know, you get the pushback, you know, the woo woo pushback and they, you know, look, I got to get it done, you know, nose to the grindstone and all that stuff. Share some of your thoughts about the, the benefits of putting some time into your mindset, regardless of whether you're a Fortune 100 CEO or, or you're just a hands on owner operator of a business. Well, you know, mindset is something that you have to work on. You, you can't. Um, you can't 
read something and then repeat a phrase and all of a sudden you've changed your mindset. <laughs> I wish it were that easy. Yeah, me too. <laughs> uh, I've been a lifelong meditator. And so I meditate every day. Uh, it's usually twice a day uh, because for me, what it does is it allows me to focus on what's important. It, it clutter, it takes the clutter out of my mind. Now you might say, well, heck I'm running, a, I'm, I'm working 18 hours a day, Mitch. You can't expect me to spend 20 minutes meditating. I said, well, the harder you work, the more you should meditate. I mean, that would, unfortunately it's, it's the way that you kind of like sleep, right? It's like saying, yeah. oh, I work 18 hours a day. I don't have time to sleep. Well, yeah. that's not going to work. <laughs> exactly. But what it really comes down to is, and you said this at the beginning, if you are waiting to be happy <laughs> until the end of the journey, then I, I hate to tell you, it's going to be disappointing. Now I have, I have been a victim of that mindset myself. Uh, when I was, I remember, uh, before we sold time slips corporation, uh, my, my wife at the time came to me and said, well, we should do this. And she was talking about, um, for me, it was a fairly expensive cruise vacation. <laughs> and I said, um, I said, Hey, you know what, when I sell the company, We'll have the money and we could do that. And she said to me, she says, so basically what you're saying is we should postpone living our lives until we sell the company. And it was like a whack in the side of the head. I said, Oh yeah. I said, you know, you're right. That is, that was stupid. Uh, and, and we should take that cruise and we should do it now. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and the bottom line is that if you are postponing happiness now, you'll likely do that for the rest of your lives. And I think it's important to remember, like you said at the very beginning of the show, is that it's about the journey and it's about being and staying happy on the journey. Yeah. So yeah. for me, and I think for many entrepreneurs, that mindset has been a difficult one because we're so focused on the outcome. Yeah. And there's, and there's, there's a, I, I've said this a couple of times now during the show, there's this kind of weird badge of honor to be able to say like, I'm martyring myself for my business. And I think maybe younger, newer entrepreneurs, maybe not so much, but I think the baby boomer generation entrepreneurs, I think they still have some of that, that mindset, that badge of honor that they're working, working, working. And it's almost like an, ex not an excuse, but a justification for the suffering. And, right. and, I, and I think that that's a really big mistake because it puts your your mind in this in this loop of you know work 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 suffer 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 and then you get a little bit of money and then maybe later on you'll you'll be able to enjoy whereas if you put the enjoyment first and then you use that as fuel to succeed it tends to have a much better outcome right but but see just to counterbalance that I do agree with you by the way but to counterbalance that opportunities show up yeah. And you may have to take advantage of them. I'll give you an example. Okay. Um, George, let's say uh, Elon Musk uh, picked up the phone and called you and said, Hey, George, uh, I need you over here. Can you get yourself on a plane and get out to see me? Uh, we have a suite arranged for you at the hotel six, six minutes from the plant, but we're going to need you to really help us with this problem. You're going to say, uh, yes, Mr. Musk, I'll be right there. <laughs> I'm guessing you would. Yeah, I would. I okay. would. All right. So as you probably know, Elon sleeps on the on the uh, floor of the shop floor uh, in order to solve problems. I mean, he's not a guy you're going to turn down. I mean, if you say, well, well, Elon, I got, I got to 
tell you my happiness comes first. Uh, and so I got a podcast with Mitch Russo, buddy. I can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so what that really means is in a practical, realistic sense, opportunities are going to come up and you're going to need to take advantage of those. But don't lose sight of what the real goal is. The real goal is not work. The real goal is to create a happy life for you and your partner and your family. I mean, that's what it comes down to. It's funny when you said that I was thinking about uh, Tim Ferriss, his concept of how, how, you know, your career should go through these kind of phases where you're in a high work phase and then a high play phase and a high work phase and a high play phase, you know, in, in very short increments, like in a, in a question of like two, three, four years, not 20 years of hard work and then you relax and have a vacation or you retire or whatever, right? I, well, I think that's more sane. That is, I, I agree with you. Tony Robbins has a different viewpoint as well. He calls the period of time uh, in your early 30s to your early 50s, the warrior part of your life. Mm. So in the warrior phase of your life, that's where you're working hard, you're making advances, you're building companies, you're growing, building, leading. And then finally, you reach a stage where you become, um, I forgot his word, I think it's the the advisor or the ambassador stage of your life where you're more of a mentor now yeah. others have to achieve that. Uh, it doesn't mean that you can't enjoy life during the warrior phase, but I think Tony's point was that, yeah, during those 20 years of your life, that's when you're optimally able to work the hardest because your health is the best. Your youth is strong and your energy is good. Your energy is good. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. So makes sense. There, there's multiple viewpoints of this. I think that combining them uh, would work great in, a, in the right situation. I agree. I agree. So what would you say if you were going to advise a, a harried, let's say 35 year old owner operator of a business that's got, let's say five, six employees, and you know, they find themselves, you know, busy, busy, busy in the business um, and, and complaining that they don't have enough time to do the stuff that they need to do to grow the business, scale the business, et cetera, et cetera. What would you, what would you give them in terms of as a prescription to solve that problem? Well, the first thing I would do is I would say, I would ask the question, would more money help? Mm. And if they say, yes, more money would help. I'll say, well, okay, uh, are, is your pricing wrong? Are mm. you selling too inexpensively? And if so, are you selling to the wrong buyer? So, so if I said to you, uh, tell me what your pricing is. And I said to you, George, that's too low, raise your fees. You'd say to me, Mitch, my, my clients would fire me if I raised my fees. Your answer should be, uh, well, that's no problem because I'll go find higher level clients who will pay me more for what I do. So I would first start looking to answer the question, would more money help? That's a great one. I love that. I love and that. If more money would help. Then we talk about building. If delivery is a problem, like I can't deliver what I'm selling now, then then clearly that's not the same issue. But if more money would help and we can for example, implement the sales strategy or marketing strategy to generate more revenue for an existing product or product line, then by all means, let's do that. Got it. Great. I love it. I love it. Okay. So we're, we're, we're getting to the, to the home stretch here. Mm -hmm. um, what are you working on now? You've got a, a, a plethora of different types of businesses and strategies. I saw one piece on you talking about how, you know, you, you, you never, put yourself in a situation where you only have one revenue stream. You're always looking at multiple revenue streams. So given the fact that you have multiple revenue streams, 
um, what are you working on now or what few projects are you working on now that you feel are, are really having an impact in the marketplace? Well, there are probably three key areas of my, of my business life um, that I am very involved with and I love being involved with. Number one is my coaching work. I coach uh, entrepreneurs and small business owners uh, to grow their business rapidly. That's called my accelerator. And I have people who come into my accelerator as at, with the goal of emerging two months later with a year's growth in two months. So that's the accelerator. The second part of my business is what I call my, my certification business, where I help companies, usually larger companies, not smaller companies, build very, very powerful certification-based recurring revenue systems, creating an alternative sales force to the ones that they traditionally have. So how, how big would a business have to be to, to really be able to leverage that program? Usually in the three to $20 million range, okay. uh, much below 3 million, they probably don't have enough clients yet. Okay, gotcha. The strategy starts with finding our very best clients and enrolling them into the certification program. Gotcha. So if you're too small, you can't do that. Okay, interesting. And the, the third part of my business life is coaches and not coaching, which I told you about, yeah. coaches. So I built a platform for coaches and I built a training system for coaches. So what I do is I take other business coaches and I elevate their abilities in my coaching accelerator and my so is to make them better coaches to get better testimonials so that they can do just what we were talking about, raise their fees and get a higher level of client while providing them with a software platform called Clientfolio that gives them the ability to do a better job of building and running their own coaching business. Wow. So you're running those three businesses in parallel? Yes. Are you running them yourself or do you have other people running them for you? No, I run them together. I, I run all three of them, but I have other people helping me with that. Okay. Okay. So I, I have coaches who work for me on the, on the coaching side. Uh, I have vendors who work for me on the marketing side. For example, on the software platform, I, I mean, I, I designed uh, the product and I guide the development of the product but I don't write the software. Uh, so I, I work with the development team to make sure that the product is doing exactly where, what I want it to do and it's going where I want it to go. Uh, I also you're have working, another- You're working on the business, not in the business. As well. Exactly. The same when it comes to marketing. I have a marketing department, if you will, that does all of the marketing for- And what they're doing is they're doing a lot of Facebook advertising, LinkedIn advertising, or LinkedIn marketing. Uh, they're doing a lot of uh, what I would call organic strategies to get in front of coaches and make sure the software uh, gets seen by as many coaches as possible. Wow. Uh, I meet with them once a week. We have a chat. We, you know, I try to adjust the direction of where they're going. And, and since, um, since I'm writing the checks, I want to make sure that I know what, what the money's being spent on. Yeah, that's great. I, I, I love it. And we've got to talk about that. Now, I noticed there's a book right beside you on the screen. Is that your latest book? Because I know you've written a few books, right? Right. That's my second book. That's called Power Tribes. And that is the blueprint for building the certification system I told you about. 
Okay. This is my third book. I don't know if you can see yeah, it. Now, now I can't. Now I can't. Yeah. It's called Coach Elevation. Oh, yeah. The Coach Elevation book is really. Well, don't worry. We'll put it up on the screen. We'll, we'll put it up on the screen. Sure. The Coach Elevation book is, is really part of the journey I was telling you about earlier of how I work with coaches to elevate their skills and bring them to a level where they can now do a much better job with the clients they have and get better a, a better type of client as well. That's amazing. That's amazing. And, and I think that it's so important because I think the best coaches that I've ever seen, you know, the working with the client um, hands on one on one or in, in the group setting is where they shine. And, right. and where they tend not to shine is in all the admin type of, of work and having tools like that to make that part smoother and easier and faster, um, I think is, is going to be a blessing to them and their clients. Of course, but there are little things that make a big difference. So if you go to, to my website, uh, like every website, there's a little tab called testimonials. And what you'll do if you look at that is my testimonials are not like, yeah, Mitch did a good job. He helped us grow by 20%. They're over the top testimonials. They're like, oh my God, type of testimonials. And and it's not because I'm that good. I mean, I am, but I mean, it's not because, <laughs> you know, it's, it's because I know how to get a testimonial and I know how to help my client give me the type of testimonial uh, and express how they really feel, not in a, in a format that just you know, might fit the screen or something. So <laughs> my goal is to teach others how to do that. My goal is to help them help coaches use those testimonials as a way of elevating their own business. Most coaches don't know how to do that. And no, don't bother. no, I, I would tend to agree with you. Well, you know, Mitch, this is amazing. Uh, we're going to put all the links into the show notes so people will have them. I think that you're doing a, an amazing job of not being you know, the, the shoemaker with no shoes, you're, you're right. the shoemaker with shoes and you're helping other shoemakers to not only have shoes, but have a system for having lots of shoes. And I, and I, and I think that's amazing. I think it's what that, that's what the industry needs more of. More shoes. You're right. Well, you know, more systems that we see a lot of flukes out there. I think, I think a lot of people get successful and it's not necessarily because they have a system for becoming successful because we see successful businesses emerge. And then when they, they try to recreate that success, it often doesn't happen. And I, and I think that demonstrates the fact that they don't have a system for doing it. And I, and I love the way that you use the software engineering type of metaphor to create that consistency that anybody could use. And I think that's really, really important. Great. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. And, and you're right. I agree with you too. I think if you can, you know, having been educated as an electrical engineer, I tend to have a systems mindset and I look at problems uh, and solutions in that same frame. Yeah. And so for me, that allows me to approach these things with the idea that if I could figure it out, I can then create a system for others to do it too. Beautiful. Before we go, um, where's the best place for us to get your books, Mitch? Uh, probably depending on which book you want, uh, Amazon is really the place where you can get all my books, all three. Okay, excellent. So we'll, we'll put the link to, to the Amazon um, page where your books are found. I thank you immensely for this. And I can think of at least two more podcasts that we can have. Uh, one, one more specifically about client folio and how that helps coaches. 
uh, and, and maybe dig a little bit more into turning what you're doing into a system that will allow you to scale and then maybe even have a certification program. So I think those two topics would be very, very helpful for a lot of people. Be my pleasure. Anytime you're ready, George. All right, man. Have a great one. Thank you. Take care. Cheers.